0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. God, we thank you that you do speak, that you speak today through your spirit. What an incredible privilege it is to be able to hear the very words of God. And Father, we pray that you continue to do that this morning as we open your word, that your presence would come, that you would dwell here and that you would speak to us and that you would teach us, that you would refine our hearts and to make us more like you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Have you guys ever wrestled with the question, what is the worst sin that you can commit Ever thought about that. What is the worst sin that there is? The worst possible thing that you could do? A lot of us would probably say, well, the worst sin that there is is probably some form of murder. Uh, Many other people would say it'd be some form of uh, sexual sin like rape or or things like that. And and we wouldn't be all that wrong when we would say those things because they're so horrifying and terrible. It's really not all that surprising if those would be the things that we would land on. But have you ever wondered how God would answer that question? Imagine you had the chance to go before God and ask him, what is the worst sin there is? In your eyes, God, what is the worst possible thing that a person can do? Would he respond in the same way and say, well, it would be murder or rape or something like that? Or would God say something different? I think an important place to start as we ask that question would actually be in God's word. In the Ten Commandments, God shares some things that we should do as we follow him and some things that we, frankly, shouldn't do as we follow him. As we open up the Ten Commandments, we might be surprised to see, well, the first commandment there has nothing to do with murder, has nothing to do with rape, it has to do with idolatry. First thing that God says is, you shall have no other gods before me. In God's eyes, the worst sin, the worst thing that you can possibly do is to worship something other than, than him. We do this all the time today, not just back in ancient times. Today we have a tendency to worship work. We have a tendency to worship uh, money or material things, our stuff. And for some of us, we have a tendency to worship ourselves. The Bible calls this pride. Pride. The Bible talks a lot about pride. It tells us that pride is abhorrent in God's eyes. It's something that we should avoid in our lives. But few of us would probably say that it is the worst possible sin that we could commit. I want to challenge us this morning to think about pride in that way. That pride is the worst thing, one of the worst things that you can do in God's eyes because it is an act of rebellion against him. It is saying that I don't want to follow God's plans. In fact, my plans my life is more important than what god has to say it is a statement that we are more concerned with following our own agenda than we are with following god's plan pride is deadly what is the antidote to this what is what is the cure for pride well the bible tells us that we are called to be humble we've heard this a lot to be humble but maybe you're not sure what exactly that means our culture doesn't really know what it means to be humble. In fact, there are a lot of misconceptions out there about humility. I just want to look at two of them. First one is that humility really means to be weak. It means to be a pushover. You look at the heroes in our society, people like the athletes and actors and politicians, and you look at how often they talk about themselves, you look at how often they talk about their accomplishments, and you think to yourself, if I ever want to advance in my career, if I ever want to get ahead in this life, humility is not an option. Because humility is weakness. Humility is not something that I can seek after if I want to provide for my family, if I want to make a difference in this world, in this cutthroat world, humility is seen as a weakness. Maybe some of you struggle with that. It's a dangerous thing to struggle with this type of pride. But I want to be honest, and I want to, I want to say that most of us probably str- struggle with a different issue when it comes to pride, a more dangerous issue when it comes to pride. And that's when we think of ourselves as trash, as garbage. We think less of ourselves, and we think that this is what it means to be humble. I'll give an example. When I was growing up, I was a pretty good student, uh, typically in the top 10 of my class, and whenever someone would come up to me and would say something along the lines of, hey, you're a really good student, or great job on, you know, that assignment, I would typically respond by saying, that's not true. I didn't get that right. I was, I was awful, I can't believe that you think that I am good at school. I'm garbage. There's there's nothing redeemable about what I can do. And I thought that this was what humility looked like. I thought humility meant to think that I was trash, that I was garbage, because I didn't want to have a big head. It wasn't until years later that I discovered and I realized that this was actually a way of me defending my own pride. It was a way of me actually building myself up. Every time that someone would compliment me on schoolwork and I would respond by saying, yeah, right, that's not true. I would say so hoping, needing them to respond by saying, that's not true, Jordan. You're great. You're wonderful. I needed people to say those things because I had built up an altar to myself. And the easiest way for me to get praise, the easiest way for me to feel good about myself was to fake humility. To trash on myself and let others build me up. Maybe you struggle with that same thing too. That you see self-deprecation as a form of humility. That you seek to tear yourself down so that way others can praise you and build you up. Maybe you do that to pad your own pride. Maybe you struggle with outright pride and you say that there's no time for humility because where does ambition fit in with all of this stuff? Where on the extremes are you? You have a tendency towards outright pride or towards a self-deprecating humility that is just a disguise for pride. Wherever you fall, the Bible has much to say about humility. There are several passages that talk about our calling as Christians to live humble lives. And it might come as a surprise that one of those passages is actually found at the end of 1 Peter. As we draw to an end of 1 Peter, we see this surprising passage that talks about humility. It talks about our call to live humble lives for God's sake. And you might be wondering, well, how does this fit? The last several weeks that we've been working our way through 1 Peter, we've seen time and time again Peter call on us to endure in the midst of hard times, to live for God continually, to focus on him even when we are suffering in this world. I think what Peter is trying to say here is how important it is to seek after humility in our lives. Peter is telling us that no matter what's happening outside of the church walls, whether it's peaceful out there or whether we are suffering persecution, whatever is happening inside your own heart, whether you are experiencing the summer, the blessings of life to the fullest, or whether you are in the storms of life, God wants us to live humble lives. It's crucial to him. It's his desire for his children. That's what today's text is about. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. And as we work our way through the first five chapters, we're going to see what true biblical humility looks like. As we re- try to rediscover what humility really looks like, Peter is going to focus on one thing over and over and over again for us, and that is this, that no matter your position, the answer is submission. No matter your position, the answer is Submission. It doesn't matter what your role is in society, what your role is in the church, whether you are a pastor, an elder, on the leadership board, if you are an usher, or a greeter, or a life group leader, or if you just attend church, God calls us to submit, to live holy, humble lives submitted to his plan and to his authority. See, God calls each and every one of us to live this type of life, This looks different for different people in different positions in our society. Peter knows that. Peter knows that humility is going to look different for me than it does for someone else. And so Peter addresses this. He spends a good deal of time looking at church leaders and says, this is what it means to live humble lives for you. And then he looks at other people and says, "You know, this is what it looks like to live a humble life, to clothe yourself with humility. That's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be working our way through 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I invite you to follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter starts uh, in his call for church-wide humility with church leaders, with the elders, is what he calls for us to do. And what he recognizes is that elders and church leaders actually set the temperature for humility in the church. If church leaders are humble, then the church is well on its way to living good, God glorifying, humble lives themselves. That's why Peter starts by addressing elders in the church and says, You know, elders, this is what you should do with your lives. But notice how he begins. Before he even gets to what the elders are supposed to do, Peter talks about his own role first. Look at verse 1 again. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter starts by talking about his own situation, his own life. And it's fascinating that Peter associates himself with the leaders of small churches in Northeast Asia Minor. Remember who Peter is. Peter is an apostle. This is the one that Jesus said, on you, I'm going to build my church. This is the rock. This is really a rock star. He's one of the most famous apostles that there is, one of the most famous people in Christianity. In fact, Catholic uh, Christians actually call Peter the prince of the apostles. And yet, Peter is associating himself with the Christians Northeast Asia Minor by calling himself a fellow elder. What an encouragement that must have been. What an encouragement to hear Peter say, you know, I'm just like you. But it's also a sign of humility. It's a sign of humility to say that this is what my life is like. I'm a fellow elder. One of the nice things about Twitter is that there are a lot of parody accounts out there. Uh, And these are just uh, accounts that people say really sarcastic things. Uh, One of the most uh, popular examples probably here in the Midwest is uh, from our neighbors to the West, uh, the former uh, football coach of Nebraska, Bo Pelini. There was actually an account out there called Faux Pelini. And it was all about just sarcastic things that he must be thinking in the middle of games. And it's actually a lot more entertaining sometimes to, to listen to or watch that Twitter account than it was to follow the football games. But one of the other parody accounts that I find out there that, that I think is hilarious is one called Celebrity Pastor. And do we have some slides uh, that we can show here? These are a couple things that the Celebrity Pastor has tweeted. So here's one of them. Uh, one of the hardest things about being me is finding people to look up to uh, It's lonely at the top. Uh, So that's what a celebrity pastor has to say. Another one, today I'm thankful that you're thankful for me. Uh, He tweeted that on, uh, I think that was on Thanksgiving Day. And then another one, I put a picture of myself up over the entrance to the stage for the worship team members to touch right as they go on, hashtag tradition. The reason we think that that's comical, we see that that is, is funny, is because we realize how ridiculous it is. In fact, celebrity pastor, whoever that guy is, does an excellent job of showing us what things should be by showing us the way that things shouldn't be. Peter had every right, honestly, to be like celebrity pastor. He was the prince of the apostles. He was the one who had planted more churches than most of us could count. He had brought the gospel to the Jewish people, and yet Peter calls himself fellow elder. Peter recognizes what his stance is before God. Later on, Peter tells the shepherds, the elders of the flock, to lead by example. And that's what Peter is doing here by calling himself a fellow elder. But notice Peter doesn't just call himself a fellow elder. He also says that he's a witness to the sufferings of Christ. We might wonder what exactly is Peter getting at when he says that. What does it mean to say that I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ? Is this a way for him to validate his authority? Could be. But if that was the case, then Peter probably would have said, I'm a witness to the resurrection. I'm a witness to Christ rising from the dead, and that is why I have authority here. I think Peter is doing something different when he says that he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He's pointing back the sufferings of Jesus. He's pointing back to the worst time in his life. I think that this is an act of humility on Peter's life, in Peter's life. He, He looks to the height of Jesus's suffering when Peter denied him, when Peter turned his back on him, when he walked away and rejected Christ. Peter is bringing up the low point in his life, and that tells us a little bit about humility. Humility isn't just dwelling in the low parts of our lives, but humility actually means to just have a good understanding of who you are. It doesn't mean to have a low view of yourself. It doesn't mean to have a high view of yourself. Humility simply means to understand who you are. See, Peter knew who he was. Peter knew that he was the one who left Jesus in Jesus' worst moments. He was unworthy to be called an apostle. He was unworthy to be called a fellow elder. He was unworthy of any of that. And yet, through God's grace, he was a fellow elder. Through God's grace, he was an apostle. It wasn't through what he had done, but it was through what God had done for him. And that's actually what Peter mentions next. On one hand, Peter says that he witnessed the sufferings of Christ, that he rejected Christ, one of the low points of Peter's life. And then he says, you know, I'm gonna be a partaker in the glory that is about to be revealed. Peter holds these two things in tension. He says, that the best possible thing imaginable, that I'm going to be able to partake in God's glory that is about to come, is true of me. But also, what is true of me is that I am unworthy of the grace of God. He recognizes his desperate state before God, and he also recognizes the wonderful, endless mercy that God has for him. He is a fellow elder, he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and he's a partaker in the glory that is about to be revealed. Peter starts with his own example. That's a really important place for us to start as we look at what it means to live humble lives, as we seek to rediscover humility, is to understand Peter's example, to understand how he understood himself. But then Peter continues with what elders are called to do. He picks up in verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter starts with his own example, and he continues by looking at what Christians, especially Christians in, in church leadership, are called to do. What is it that church leadership is supposed to do? One word, shepherd. This is what the primary responsibility of pastors, of elders is. It's to shepherd. It's to care for those that God has entrusted to them. It's to provide for them. It's to guide them. It's to lead them. It's to protect them. If a pastor or if an elder isn't doing those things, then they're not doing what God has called them to do. So Peter calls the church to shepherd. But as he's encouraging them towards humility as church leaders, he, he points out a couple temptations for them to avoid. says that these are some pitfalls that are on the road that you need to look out for. And so he addresses these three things. I just want to point them out. First, he calls out on reluctance. Apparently, there were a number of people in Peter's day who were reluctant to become church leaders, that they were qualified to become leaders in the church, but they didn't want to be. And when we look at that, uh, we can kind of understand based out of the context. Remember, Christians are suffering for their faith, and if a church had been targeted for suffering, it's a very good chance that those who are leaders in the church are going to be the first ones to face hardship. To become a leader in the church was to have a target on your back. It's really not all that surprising that they wouldn't want to become leaders. But I think it's more than that. Being a leader in the church, it frankly just takes up your time. Most of the people that Peter is writing to had full-time jobs, and add on to that the shepherding responsibility. It was a lot to have on their plate. It was a big commitment. It was easier just to say no than it was to say yes. Can you see how maybe there's a root of pride that is at the source of this? That maybe they said, no, I don't want to serve others because I want to spend more time on myself. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it is wrong for you to tell the church no. In fact, I think a lot of times it's good for you to tell the church no, if that means you can spend more time with your family, more time out in the community, to share the gospel with those who are around you. But it's also important for us to look at ourselves, look at our hearts and ask ourselves the question, is This pride? Is there a root of pride that is causing me to be reluctant? See, humility means to put others first. There's no greater way to put others first than to shepherd. And that is what Peter is calling the elders to do here. First pitfall to look out for is reluctance, the second one is greed. Apparently, While there were some who were reluctant to become church leaders, there were also some who were a little overzealous to become church leaders, but they had the wrong motives. They wanted to become church leaders for the wrong reasons. They didn't want to shepherd people, but they actually wanted to become elders to what they could get out of it. And unfortunately, that's fairly common today. It seems like there's always a story out there of a pastor who's getting paid exorbitant amounts of money or uh, someone in church leadership who has misappropriated a great amount of funds. And the sad truth is there are a number of people who actually get into ministry not for what they can give, but what they can get out of it. It's not just money. Greed isn't just about money. This isn't just a danger that has to do with finances. I want to give you an example of this. Uh, I enjoy writing. I I feel like God has gifted me in my ability to write, uh, and it's something that I enjoy to do. There have been times where I've written an article or two for newspapers uh, and for blog posts, and after someone reads them, they come out to me and they ask me if I've ever considered writing a book. Uh, Short answer to that is yes, I have. Uh, but the long answer is I won't, at least not right now. The reason why not is because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that at some point, if I'm writing a book, some point along there, I'm going to stop writing for others, and I'm going to start writing for myself. I'm scared that at some point along the way, I'm going to stop writing to edify others and only to platform myself. And until I can have a pure heart, until I can be confident in that, I won't. Because of what Peter says here. Peter calls on us to live humble lives. One of the dangers that we have is to seek after ways that we can use others rather than to serve them. And so Peter tells church leaders to look out for greed. Put others first, not just through your actions, but also in your heart. Serve, shepherd, love those in the flock, and do so with pure motives. Third thing Peter mentions is power. Peter recognizes that as a leader in the church, these people are going to have a good amount of power, that people are going to look up to them, that God has given them authority in the church. And so Peter says, don't you dare abuse it. Don't domineer over the flock, but rather lead by your example. Peter and his uh, fellow apostles had to learn this the hard way. There's uh, countless stories in the gospels of where Peter and the fellow apostles, they missed the mark on this. One example is Mark chapter 9. Jesus is out with the apostles, and they are walking to, I believe it's Capernaum. And on their trip to Capernaum, Jesus is out front, and he's leading them. And the other, all the disciples are out in the back, and Jesus can hear them uh, but he decides to act like he doesn't hear them. And they finally get to Capernaum, and Jesus says, hey, did you guys have a good trip? What were you guys talking about back there? And there's this awkward silence. I'm sure some of them mumbled a couple things, like, oh, we were just talking about the weather. Or, we, were, we were just talking about uh, that you know miracle that you did last week. Good job, Jesus. Well, then the text tells us that Jesus knew what they were talking about. They were talking about who was the greatest, who was the best, who was the number one dog. They longed for authority. They longed for power. You'd think that after getting called out on it by Jesus that they would have learned their lesson, but sure enough, one chapter later in Mark chapter 10, James and John, two of uh, Peter's closest friends, go to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to do us a favor. And Jesus says, okay, what is it? Well, we want you to make sure that we sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come in glory, when you establish your kingdom. And Jesus is kind of taken aback. He's amazed at their requests, and he says, that's not for me to decide. And then there's this really interesting verse, verse 41 of Mark chapter 10, where it says this, Uh, let me me just find it. It says, when the 10 heard it, when the other apostles heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. They aren't mad that James and John have asked something so bold of Jesus. They're mad that James and John beat him to the punch. They had that same desire. They wanted to sit at Jesus' right hand and his left hand. They wanted to be Jesus' number two guy when he established his kingdom because they wanted the authority. They wanted the power. They lusted after people to look up to them. And Jesus afterwards says, if any of you wants to follow me, You must serve others. Truly I tell you, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to or not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. Peter is speaking from experience when he says, Shepherd the flock. Through your example, not to do it for power. Practice humility. Live your life in a humble state, no matter the position God has you in, whether that is in a position of authority or whether it is not. Live a humble life. Let's look at the next verse. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Why is it the elders should avoid these temptations that face them? Why is it that elders should avoid reluctance, should avoid greed, should avoid seeking after power, but to shepherd through example by living a humble life? It's because they're not in charge. God himself is the one who's in charge. God himself is the owner of the sheep. He is the one who takes care of his sheep. And if church leaders had the audacity to exploit jesus's sheep to shirk their responsibilities for jesus's sheep to use those sheep for gain then they will have to answer to god why do you hire a babysitter when your children are younger you do so for them to protect them to take care of them to make sure that they are safe Imagine how furious you would be if you found out that the person you had hired to take care of your children was using them, was exploiting them, was treating them like garbage. You'd be furious. In the same way, God will be furious. But there will be much to answer for if shepherds don't shepherd the sheep well. Well if they use them for their own gain. See, this is crucial for our understanding of humility. We mentioned earlier that humility means to have a right understanding of ourselves, to know first and foremost what we uh, have done wrong, the, the wickedness of our souls, but also how much love God has for us. It's important for us to recognize that. But also at the same time, probably even more important is for us to recognize who God is. We have to recognize who God is, what God has done for us. And when we hold these two together, when we hold on one hand what God has done for us and who God is, and on the other hand, when we think of who we are, really humility will come naturally. Just take a moment, think of who God is. God is creator. He's the creator of everything. Millions of light years away from here, there is a star that none of us have ever seen. Circling that star is a rocky, lifeless planet no one has ever seen. On the surface of that planet are millions and millions of rocks and pebbles. And God has formed each and every one of them with the same attention to detail as the rocks that are outside of this auditorium. God is a creator. He is all-powerful, but not just a creator. He is a savior. He has redeemed what sin has trashed. He has brought to life that which was dead. When you think of that, when you think of the wretchedness of your sin, and yet the great grace of God, how is pride possible? Carl F. Henry says it some, says something similar. He says, how can anyone be arrogant when standing before the cross? How can anyone be prideful to think much of themselves when standing before the cross? When we look at the great lengths that God went to for us to become his children, it doesn't lead to pride. It leads to wonder. It leads to worship. And it leads to humility if you think that you're pretty hot stuff, whether it's in the church or whether it is uh, out in the business world, just a couple questions for you. First question, uh, when's the last time that creation started talking about how great you are? The Psalms tell us that all of creation, the rocks, the trees, the hills, are constantly singing praises to God, talking about how wonderful and how glorious he is. Another question, when's the last time you had an angel bow down and worship you? Revelation tells us that there are a 100 million angels standing before the throne of God, worshiping Him day and night, never ceasing because of how glorious and how wonderful He is. And yet He died for us. He chose to take our place. He is the one who is in charge, and yet He loves us deeply. Is there a more humbling thought than that? This is what Peter is working towards for church leaders that's what he closes with as he's talking to the rest of the church he's closing with their call to live humble lives just take a look at verse 5 he says likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another for god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble no matter the position we find ourselves in The answer is submission. That submission is first and foremost to God in our lives. One of the ways that that is lived out is through humbly following the leaders that God has put over us, whether that is in our society, in our workplaces, or even in the church, as Peter is mentioning here. And this is what it looks like for us to clothe ourselves with humility. God calls for everyone in his church to live humble lives, and that's what likeness really is. I love the way Paul puts it in Philippians 2. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's to be like Christ. If humility comes from having a right understanding of who God is and a right understanding of who we are, it looks like Philippians 2. It looks like living a life just like Jesus, to consider others before we consider ourselves, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, to think of others first, to be focused on serving those who are around us. And when we do that, We clothe ourselves with humility. We clothe ourselves in the way God would want us to live. Just two motivations for why we should do that. First is what Peter says here. Right at the end of verse 5, he mentions God's response to our humility or to our pride. He says, first of all, uh, by quoting Proverbs 3, that God is opposed to those who are proud. God is against who, those who build an altar to themselves, those who build themselves up as an idol, who think of themselves before thinking of other people. God is opposed to them. But in contrast, God is with those who are humble. God is with the, those who are constantly thinking of ways to serve the kingdom of God, whether it is through their own approach or so someone else. God is with. And will give grace to those who are humble. Why should we seek out humility? Well, first and foremost, because of God's response to our humility or to our pride. Second reason, uh, and this is just honestly, uh, it's a right way of viewing the world. It's the right way of understanding the world. David Foster Wallace once said that you'll become far less concerned with what people think of you when you realize how seldom they do. It's a reality. In the grand scheme of things, we are not all that important. People don't think about us all that often. But God does. God loves us. God, the creator of all, made a way for us to live with him. What a humbling, humbling thought. What truly good news that is for us. And as we seek to live humble lives, as we seek to submit ourselves to God, no matter what position we find ourselves in, the first thing we must do is to remember who God is. To remember what God has done for us. Second thing is for us to remember who we are. Remember the low points of our life, but also how much God loves us. To remember who God is, to remember who we are. And then from that point, to consider others to think of others. Think of ways that we can serve those who are around us. I want to just issue a challenge this week as we seek to live humble lives, to just do one thing. Serve one person each day this week. Just serve one person. That's all. It can be something big. It can be something small. You can put away the dishes or or take away, uh, take out the garbage. If you're a child, you can uh, take your wife out on a date. It doesn't matter what you do. Just serve one person each day this week. And then we'll be well on the way of living humble lives. As we seek to remember who we are, as we seek to remember who God is, let us serve those who are around us. As we close, I just want to ask for your prayers. Just a little bit about me, um, I am, as I read this passage, which is primarily about church leaders, it was, it was very convicting for me. I am 26. I have been in ministry leadership uh, either volu- as a volunteer or uh, vocationally for 10 years. And I look at a passage like this, and it's extremely convicting for me. A couple of years ago, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. Uh, from seminary. We had both recently just been hired by churches, and we were a couple months into being pastors. And so we both decided to have a conversation about what on earth is going on in our lives. And he comes up to me and he says, Jordan, is it weird to be a pastor? And I said, no, it's not. And he was a little surprised by that because he was feeling extremely unworthy of the calling to be a pastor. And he was assuming that I would say the same thing. And so I explained to him and said, you know, Being a pastor isn't all that weird because I've been going to school for it for the last seven years. I know that this is what God has called me to do. But what is weird, what is extremely humbling for me, what I find to be so unworthy of is being called an elder. To the great, terrible, wonderful, beautiful responsibility of shepherding the sheep of God. I've seen a lot of people who start ministry well. But somewhere along the lines, they become more focused with building their own kingdom than building the kingdom of God. And I don't want that to be true of me. I want 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 to be true of me. And so I ask for your prayers I ask that as we seek to live humble lives, that we would do so with pure motives. That no matter what position God has us in, that we would submit ourselves to his will. No matter your position, the answer is submission. Let's pray. Father, as we think of humility, we think of this great, hard difficult but oh so rewarding call on our lives to live humble lives we think of that passage in philippians 2 of the great wonderful humility that you showed jesus when you came to earth and father i pray that you would help us to have that same approach that you would be at work in our own lives, in our lives as well, in the same way that you were in wor- at work in the lives of Peter, the other apostles on the early church. God forgive us for the times where we have built an altar to ourselves and taken away from your glory. And we thank you for the grace that has offered us at the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen.